Today we continue our series, Love Does, and I, I'm, I know by the end of this message, you'll be as convicted as I was preparing for it and challenged, and hopefully even affirmed. And, and our hope is that throughout the series that we do, we just, we do love, and we don't do it out of responsibility or duty or so we can get something back. And, and so today, not only are we having a Bible study, we're going to have a Bible doing. We're going to take what we've learned and we're going to apply it to our lives. So I encourage you, uh, if you haven't already, to make sure that you purchase this book uh, and read it. And I promise you, you won't be able to put it down. Uh, I've heard from various people this week, small groups, you'll want to use it tonight and read chapter one to your small group. Uh, read the story that's listed there. But make sure you grab this book and read it. Today, as we continue this series on Love Does, real love has no agenda. Which, well, let me explain. We don't love so that we can get something back. We don't love with strings attached that say, I'll love you because I know I get this back from you. Real love has no agenda. It's unconditional. There is not a condition. And when it happens to someone or someone receives that kind of love, they never forget it. Within this past year, there was a a pizza delivery man who received this kind of love, and it totally blew him away. Watch this story. So, I just feel the need to share this with everybody. So, um, I work for a pizza place, obviously. Pretty much all of you know this. And um, we don't open until 12 o'clock today, but I was asked to come in a little bit early for a delivery. So, um, you know, I, I came in, and uh, right as I got in, they we loaded up my car with the food, and I took it. And then uh, when I got to this delivery, is to this church. And... Um, <laughs> They came out to my car and they're like, uh, take one pizza out of the seven or eight pizzas that they ordered. And they're like, bring it up to the pastor on, on stage. And I was, I was like all like weirded out. Like why? Like, this is so weird. And, um, you know, the most amazing thing happened, you know, this whole church came up and gave me over $700 for a tip. It's just truly amazing. You know, I've been having such a a hard time lately just struggling to stay clean and everything and I'm just trying to get my life back and it just really truly just amazes me that people that don't even know me just wanted to help me out that much blessed. When people receive unconditional love, they never forget it. And once they receive it, in their minds, they ask this question, why? Why would you do that for me? Today, Jesus is talking to his followers, and he's really going to challenge them. And he's going to say this, you have heard what I say. This is what you've read in the law and the prophets, but I have a new word for you. Love has no agenda. Grab your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read this together. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand, but turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48 is what we're going to read today. And when you find that, I ask you to stand as we read God's word out loud together. Matthew chapter 5, Let's read verses 38 to 48. Would you stand with me, please? Let's read this together. Ready? Read. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. 
If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You may have a seat. Jesus sets up this conversation with the disciples. He says this, You have heard, and it was said, in the law and the prophets, as we would understand the Old Testament, you have heard, and it was said, but I tell you a new thing. Jesus is bringing what we would understand as love and the responsibility that we have as Christ followers to a whole nother level. You have heard, but I was said, love really goes the extra mile. Love goes the extra mile. Think about what he said in verse 40. Look again at verse 40, what we just read. Verse 40 says this, and if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them how many miles? What does he say? Two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. During this time, during Jesus' time, he's sitting on this hill. He says, I know what the law of the day is. I know what is supposed to happen. He says, I know that any Roman soldier that walks up to you as a Jew and says, carry my backpack, you have to drop everything that you're doing, no matter what your appointment was, no matter if you were going to a friend's house, no matter if you were going shopping, you had to stop what you were doing. And immediately, if he was a Roman soldier, you took his gear, you took his back, and you were forced to carry it one mile. It didn't matter where you were at, what your appointment was. It didn't matter if you were going to a funeral. It just didn't matter. If a Roman soldier approached you, and Jesus knew that, he said, not only do I want you to carry it one mile, I'm asking you to go the extra mile. Think about that. So every time you saw a Roman soldier, you were wondering. If you saw a soldier, you wondered, is he going to ask me to carry his bag? So your duty as a citizen was to carry his bag. Jesus says, real love goes the extra mile. Real love goes the second mile. Real love goes farther than you're supposed to go. There is great freedom in that second mile. You are free to do as you please when you go that second mile. The first mile is congested. The first mile, there's gridlock. There's a controlling spirit because you know the only reason I'm doing this is because he wants me to. And Jesus is saying, I want you to move beyond because you have to, because you do it because you love them. Second mile people show the world that love is different than love of duty. It's unconditional. It has no strings attached to it. Real love does that. It has nothing to gain from the soldier. It just shows the person that you love them. It's free sailing. It's positive attitude. There's no road rage. It's not busy there. It's the mile that those who don't know Jesus began to ask the question, what are you doing that for? Jesus is saying real love goes the extra mile. Love that has no reciprocal expectations cannot be betrayed. I want you to think about that for a second. How many of you just love because you know If you love your husband or you love your wife or you love your boss or if you love a friend or if you love your brother, you love your sister, if you love your neighbor, that you know the reason you love them is because you'll know you'll get something in return. Real love. Think about this. Love that has no reciprocal expectations cannot be betrayed. When you love without expectations, you aren't disappointed when it's not returned. Unconditional love places no conditions. It has no strings attached to it. So when you love and they don't love back, you're not disappointed. 
when you love unconditionally and they don't do for you what you did for them, you're okay with that because you didn't expect anything in return. Jesus is saying, you have heard and it's been said, but I tell you, love without any expectations. Just love because that's what Christ followers do. A while back, Tony Campolo, who was a Baptist evangelist, actually my, one of my sisters actually had him at, as a professor at Eastern College, told a story in one of his books which demonstrates what can happen when we just love and we don't worry about what we're supposed to do. We just see a place to love someone and we love them. This is his story of showing us unconditional love and what God can do. Tony says this, several years ago, I was invited to speak at a small Pentecostal college near Eastern College where I teach. I love going to the little school because the people there seem to be so in touch with the power of the Holy Spirit. Before the chapel service, several of the faculty members took me inside a room to pray with me. I got down on my knees and the six of them put their hands on my head and prayed for me, asking the Holy Spirit to fill me up and to use me effectively as I spoke to the students. Pentecostal seemed to pray longer and with more dynamism than we Baptists do. These men prayed long, and the longer they prayed, the more they leaned on my head. They prayed on and on and leaned harder and harder. One of them kept whispering, do you feel the Spirit? Do you feel the Spirit? To tell the truth, I felt something right at the base of my neck, but I wasn't sure it was the Spirit. One of the faculty members prayed at length about a particular man named Charlie Stoltfus. That kind of ticked me off. And I thought to myself, if you're going to lean on my head, the least you can do is pray for me. He prayed on and on for this guy who was about to abandon his wife and three children. I can still hear him calling out, Lord, Lord, don't let that man leave his wife and children. Send an angel to bring that man back to his family. Don't let that family be destroyed. You know who I'm talking about, Lord. You know who I'm talking about. Charlie Stolfus. He lives down the road about a mile on the right-hand side in a silver trailer house. I thought to myself with some degree of exasperation, God knows where he lives. Why do you, what do you think God's doing? Sitting up there in heaven saying, give me that dress again. Following the chapel talk, I got in my car and headed home. I was getting on the Pennsylvania turnpike when I saw a young man hitchhiking on the side of the road. I picked him up. I know you're not supposed to, but I'm a Baptist preacher, and whenever I can get someone locked into where I can preach them, I do it. I've been guilty of that. As we pulled back into the highway, I introduced myself, and I said, Hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? He said, My name's Charlie Stolfus. I didn't say a word. I drove down the turnpike, got off at the next exit, turned around, and headed back. When I did that, he looked at me and said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. He said, why? And I said, because you just left your wife and three children, right? He said, right, right. (laughs) He leaned against the passenger door the rest of the way, staring at me. I drove off the turnpike and onto a side road straight to his silver trailer house. When I pulled into the drive, he looked at me with astonishment and said, how did you know I lived here? I said, God told me. (laughs) Well, I believe God did tell me. I think God may set up things like that just for fun. I mean, if you're God, you're probably having a pretty sad time of looking down on all the things that are going on in the world. I can just imagine God nudging Peter and saying, hey, Pete, watch this. I told Charlie, you get in that trailer house. I want to talk to you and I want to talk to your wife. He ran into that mobile home ahead of me. I don't know what he said to his wife, but when I got in the house trailer, her eyes were as wide as saucers. I sat them down and said, I'm going to talk and you're going to listen. Man, did they listen. And during the next hour, I led both of them into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Today, that guy is a Pentecostal preacher down south. Real love goes the extra mile. Real love says, I'm headed here, 
and this is what I'm called to do, and this is all the time I have in the day. This is what my schedule says. But real love says, I'm going to go the extra mile, and I'm going to stop and listen to the Spirit who says, do this. When you have no expectations, you will not be disappointed or upset. And so when the Spirit speaks to you to stop, to pick up, Love says, I'm just going to do this because this is what Christ followers do. And I won't be disappointed or feel betrayed if they don't give me love back. Betrayal is only possible when an exchange is expected. Think about that for a second. What if we unconditionally loved our wives and our husbands and our kids and our parents and the world that way? What if we loved and didn't expect anything back? Jesus said, you have heard and it was written, but I tell you, real love has no agenda. Imagine, oh my goodness. Imagine if we in this room and those seated in the link and watching by internet just loved Imagine if, if we just love and we didn't choose friends because we knew they could do this for us. And if I do this for them, then I'll get this back from them. If we just loved unconditionally with no strings attached. How many of you like chocolate in this room? How many people like chocolate? Most people like chocolate. And these are really, really good chocolates. I mean, the kind that like no cholesterol, and no fat, I promise. These are the kind, like, you eat one, it's like, <sighs> they're really good. In fact, who would, who would like a chocolate today? Anybody like a chocolate? Dave, why don't you come up on stage? Anybody else like a chocolate? Anybody else like a chocolate? Melody, why, why don't you come up on stage here? I, I like, like, I'm feeling generous today, and so I'd, I'd like to give you a gift, Dave, and I'd like for you to just choose, choose a chocolate. Just, just take one. Just a gift from me. Hey, enjoy it. It's all yours. And I'd like to give you a chocolate, too. Just, just, I just feel generous today. Hey, Thanks, hey, hey you're welcome. Just take that and eat it good. Chocolate. Anybody else like chocolate? Anybody else like chocolate? Benny, you, you want a chocolate? Why don't you come up stage? Anybody else want a chocolate? Anybody else want chocolate? <laughs> Look at the hands out there. Come on, come on up. Tim, come on up. You want chocolate? I'll give you chocolate. Jesus says that real love has no conditions to it. Like, I'm going to give you chocolate, but there's a little string attached to it. And so, Benny, I'm, I'm going to give you chocolate, and I'm going to let you choose the chocolate. I didn't choose the chocolate. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to attach a little string. Hope you're not packing today. I'm going to attach a little string today. And, and Tim, I'm going to give you a chocolate. Just choose up, bud. Just choose up, man. In fact, you know what? Take one for your daughter. She had a, a rough race yesterday. Or she, you know, she's probably tired after that cross-country semi-state. So I'll give you two. But you know what? I'm going to attach a string to this and, and because I want to. And so, yeah, enjoy that gift, guys, okay? <laughs> And everywhere I go, you know what? I'm going to be thinking about, you know, you owe me. And you owe me too. You know that? And, and, but I gave you a gift, didn't I? Real love gives gift, but some of us give with strings attached. And when a string is attached, everywhere you remember, remember you owe me, I gave you two, Timmy. And so if we give based upon just strings attached to it. We put ourselves in a prison. We gave, but we didn't give unconditionally. We gave with the condition because I know, listen, one day I'm going to want chocolate too. In fact, I like number seven at Chick-fil-A, Benny. (laughs) The next time you see me there. But real love, you know what real love does? It says, I'm going to give this to you with no strings attached. Go enjoy. You see what happened? Go sit down, guys. You see, real love just gives it away. 
no strings attached. And Jesus is saying, real love, you should have seen him fighting over that. Real love has no agenda. How many times have you set the bar too high with expectations to reach and then you use this as a reason to not love completely? And you say things like this. Well, when their house needed shingles, (laughs) you know who was there? (laughs) Jimmy boy. And I worked so hard for those two days that I still got a spot in my jeans sliding down that roof. But when I put my roof up on social media, you know who didn't show up? (laughs) See if I do anything for them again. Real love has no agenda. Real love has no strings attached to it. Jesus said, you have heard, and it is written in the law and the prophets to do this, but I say, do this. I say, go the extra mile. I say, go the second mile instead of just the first mile. I say, do it without expecting anything in return. You see, when we expect something in return, we set ourselves up for wallowing in self-pity when our love has strings attached to it. Self-pity is thinking too highly of yourself. Self-pity says, I deserve to be loved. Let me, let me give you some insight today. You know what we do deserve? We deserve hell. So anything above nothing is better than hell. See, real love doesn't use subtraction. It only uses addition. Back to this text. Look, look, at, look at Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 38. He says, you have heard it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go two miles. The law of retaliation from Exodus chapter 21 and verse 24 says this. If they take your tooth, you take a tooth. If they, they take your eye, you take eye. Jesus said, you have heard it was written in the law and the prophets, but I tell you something new. I tell you, you just love, and you don't get back, and you don't give them what they gave you. We don't need to get even is what Jesus is saying. Rise above the need to get even or strike back or settle the score. He says, if someone asks for your coat, give them your shirt. Keep in mind what Jesus is saying here. He's taking something very common of the day. He says it's really not worth getting all bent out of shape over. Always value relationship over things. And then he says this again. Look at verse 42. Look at verse 42. He says this. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Give to those who ask, but don't enable them. But when the Spirit says, give, then you should give. How many times this week, ask your, answer this question just as honest as possible. How many times this week, how many times this year has the Spirit whispered to you, stop and help them? And you didn't. How many times has the Spirit said this week, walk across the room and talk to that person? Because they have lonely eyes. And you said, oh, I don't know them. And you stop. How many times has the Spirit said, you know what? You've heard this about them. Send them a text or give them a phone call and let them know you're praying for them. How many times have you let your agenda, your schedule, stop you from going the extra mile? How many times has the Spirit said, give up your seat so that someone who has never had that seat can take it? How many times has the Spirit said, share your talents tonight instead of watching that game and go work on that roof? But Lord, it's been a hard week. And Jesus said, you have heard? And it was written, but I tell you, 
Love without condition. How many times has the Spirit said, encourage that person. Give up your spot in line for the mom with kids. And you've said, but I got to get home. But real love has no conditions. Then Jesus says this. Look again at verse 43. He says in verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Like, woo! Got that one down. Just, I I can get good at that one, Jesus. Hate, 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 hate. H-A-T-E, hate. You have heard that it was said. And then he says, but I tell you, Grace Community Church, do what with your enemies? What's it say? Love your enemies. And do what for them? Pray for them who persecute you. That you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans or sinners do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know that God often raises up an enemy to give us a chance to be like Jesus? Have you ever thought about that way? You know, an enemy can be anybody. It can be an ex, it can be a coach, it can be a, a boss, it can be a sibling, it can be a neighbor. It can be anybody that's done something against you that you're standing against because you remember and you're holding this offense against them. An enemy can be anyone. Have you ever considered that God often raises up an enemy to give us a chance to be like Jesus? Have you ever considered when that happens that there's this enemy in your life and the word of God says pray for them, that God is using this person to allow you to become more like Jesus and he allows this enemy to walk into your life and your sphere of influence and you know that they're your enemy and God's saying, I allowed them to come in so that you can be more like Jesus. And what is more like Jesus? You have heard and it was written, but I tell you, go the extra mile. Pray for your enemy. Love them with no conditions. You see, knowing who you are and the love that is lavish on you and I every day allows us to love this way. Seriously, do you think God looks down on us and determines how he will love us based on how we behave towards him? Absolutely not. The Bible says this, they will know we are Christians by our what? Love for one another. Not our possessions, not our degrees, not our accomplishments, not our homes, not our cars, not our knowledge, but our love. Besides, God does not love us on the basis of anything he can gain. There is nothing he can gain by loving us. Think about that. And we should not love others on what we can gain from them. Have you ever considered that the enemy in your life, whomever it is, this person that you detest, this person that says these horrible things about you, this person that did this to you or has done that or is doing that to you, have you ever considered that this enemy is a gift from God? It's like he's teeing up this enemy to give us a chance to respond like Jesus Christ. See, when we realize that our God is a sovereign God and he allows things to happen, we can see this enemy differently and they help us grow and mature as Jesus followers. What man intended for evil, God intended for good. Sovereign God allowing this person, this event, this circumstance, this happening in your life to allow it to be used for good. And when we change the lenses, Jesus says, you have heard, and it is written in the law and the prophets in the Old Testament, but I tell you, 
Love has no agenda. It prays for their enemies. It loves their enemies, and it places no condition. Now, listen, this is hard, very hard. Why? How's that possible? Come on, Pastor Jim. That's, that's not possible. How can they be a gift from God? How can an enemy be a gift from God? Well, here's a few ways. They humble us and keep us on our knees, don't they? Lord, I can't make it another day. I don't know if I can make it. This person in my life, they've done this, and they keep saying this, and they keep doing this, and Lord... That tongue of theirs, that mouth of theirs, dear God. You see, it humbles us. It places us on our knees. And isn't this a good posture to spend your day? Why? It's our showing our dependence on God. If we don't have enemies in our lives, how are troubles or difficulties or things that happen that are hard, then it's real easy not to get on our knees. We feel like we don't need God. An enemy is a way to humble us. What else can this enemy do? They reveal our weaknesses in areas that need growth. Now, here it is. It's like, Lord, Lord, I got this weakness. If it was up to me, <laughs> I'd whack him on the head good time. And God, if you really want to know how I'm feeling, I don't want to be here right now. But Lord, you said, it was said, and it was written, but I tell you, pray for your enemies. Love them. Go the extra mile. What else happens to us when we see enemies as a gift from God? They expose our pride and our total need of God in our lives. If we don't have opposition, then we are less frequent to remember our position in Christ. Because it's during those times that we have to talk to ourselves and say, even though they say this, even though they've done that, even though they're doing this, this is the position and the place that I'm seated. I am positionally seated with Jesus. It gives us a chance to depend on God. And that's always a good thing. Jesus is saying, you have heard and it is written. And it was said, but I tell you. Don't hate your enemies. Love them. Pray for them. So how do you do that? Like, Pastor Jim, like, like, you don't know what they did. No, I don't. But God does. So how do you, what do you do? What do you do with that enemy? Here's some practical steps. Each day, if you look at it, that this enemy is a gift from God, that he's allowed to, to happen and take place in your life and he's in sovereign control and he promises to work all things out for good, then you can wake up and say, Lord, I don't want to, but I thank you for them. God would never permit them to be in your life unless he intended to bring something good from it. So how do you do that? Maybe you frame a picture. Maybe you just write down the name and every day you say, Lord, it was said, and it was written, I'd rather be back there. But you said to pray for my enemies. And so, Lord, I pray for them. What else can you do? Thank them, pray for them. Think about it. Do you know anyone who needs prayer more than our enemies? <laughs> but what if you hate them? Tell the Lord that too. He won't be surprised that you hate them. And ask the Lord to allow you to love this person through him because you can't do it on your own. Ask for a love that can only be produced by the Holy Spirit in you. You know what's happening? See, when we do that, our hearts begin to become more like Jesus. It's hard. If it was easy, everyone would do it. What else can you do? Ask God to bless them. Ask God to do for them what you want him to do for you. It's real easy, isn't it? Like, 
We sin against God all the time. We stand opposed to God in all kinds of ways in our actions. Like some weeks, we, God looks at our life. Man, are you sure you're a Christ follower? All that you've opposed, all the actions, all the things that you've said and done. We stand opposed to what God wants us to do, and we appear as an enemy to him. He doesn't hold that against us. What else can you do? You greet them instead of turning our cheeks. We turn our bodies often and go to the other side of the street. If you want to love like Jesus is talking about, you greet them instead of avoiding them. You text them, you write them, and you say, you know what? I love you with the love of God, and the only way that's possible is God. See, often God raises up an enemy to see if we really want to be like Jesus. I asked the question today, do you really want to be like Jesus? You see, men without Jesus may go so far as to tolerate their enemies, but they can't love him. What did Jesus say on the cross to his enemies? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Are you kidding me? They knew exactly what they were doing. And then in Luke chapter 6, I'll turn there. You don't have to. Jesus said this regarding the same account in Luke's words. Luke chapter 6 and verse 31 says this. Luke 6, 31. Luke said this. He said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Think about that for a second. What does that mean? It means do to others what you want them to do. Imagine a world full of Christ followers living this way. And here's how you do that. What are the thoughts that you think? I wish somebody would help me. I wish someone would pay this electric bill. I wish someone would babysit our kids so we could go out on a date. I wish someone would fix my roof. I wish someone would cook me a meal. I wish someone would invite me over. I wish someone would forgive me. I wish someone would acknowledge me. I wish someone would hire me. I wish someone would pamper me. I wish someone would do my laundry. Jesus said, do for them. What you want done for you. That's love with no conditions. So if you wonder what you're supposed to do, think about all those things that you want done for you. Like, the list can be really long. Go do it for someone else. You have heard, and it was said, but I tell you, Jesus said, the golden rule is of no use to you unless you realize it's your move. You see, we see the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Like, come on, do it to me, baby. (laughs) Keep doing No, no. The golden rule isn't the golden rule unless we move first. You see, we live like we owe no one nothing and everyone owes us. And Jesus is saying love has no agenda. Love everyone instead of only loving those that can do something back for you. I want to ask you a question. How many of you select your friends based upon what you can get in return from them? Wow, he's an electrician. I got to get to know him. Wow. She cuts hair. I want her to be my friend. Wow. They know how to paint houses. I'm going to move next to them and let them paint my house. I'm going to befriend them because when I befriend them, they can do that for me. Listen, that's not love. That's a self-centered person saying, I'm going to get what I need from you. Love has no agenda. You see, there is no agenda or impure motive behind this kind of love. You don't get upset if you don't, don't get a thank you card from someone when you do something. You don't get upset when you give a gift And you say this, I can't believe they didn't send me a thank you card. I spent $50 on that gift. Love expects nothing in return. You don't choose friends because they can help you. Or when they don't come to work day at your house, you don't get ticked about them. You see, there's something unusual about someone who says they're willing to go farther than you expect. It's loving out of freedom, not bondage. And because you're 
supposed to. It's saying, I will love you unconditionally. Let me ask you a question. How are you doing? Just, to, just do an evaluation of your friendships. Is she your friend or he your friend or they your friend? Or you, did you move beside them because you can get this from them? Are your friendships based on what you can get from someone or what you can give to them? In this book, Love Does, Bob Goff gives an example, and I want to read it to you, of radical, audacious, unconditional love. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Just listen to this love. Bob says this in his book. We have a house down by the water, and there's a little grass path where couples hold hands and walk along the bayfront. My wife and I sit on the back porch and hold hands a lot, too, as we watch couples meander by. We're close enough to the water that they wave to us, and we wave back. A nostalgic snippet from another time where people actually wave to each other during slow walks. This is how I met Ryan. One day, Ryan came walking down the path all alone. Ryan waved to us, and we waved back like we did to everyone. Instead of moving on, Ryan just stood there on the path, waving and not moving. Because he kept waving, we kept waving. It was a little awkward, honestly. I wondered perhaps this young man wanted to talk. So to break the tension, I made the short walk from the porch to the path to say hello. Hi there, how's it going? I said, reaching out to shake his hand and give him a break from all the waving. Hi, I'm Ryan and I'm in love, he said confidently. Ryan had that glaze overlook that smitten guys get. Well, Ryan, that's just great. Congratulations. No, 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 no. That's not why I came, Ryan stammered. What I wanted to say is that I walk by your house all the time and I have this girlfriend, you see, and, 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 and he paused. I want to know if it would be okay. Uh, he, he, pa- he paused again. If I ask my girlfriend to marry me in your backyard. He talked like he had been holding his breath for quite some time. I was taken aback by this love-glazed kid who would approach a complete stranger and ask to use his house to stage a great caper. But that's the way it is when you're in love, isn't it? All he knew was that he wanted the girl and he was going to do whatever it was to get her. Ryan, that sounds like a fantastic idea, I said laughing. Really? Ryan answered. I guess he expected an instant no or a gentler, I'll think about it. Sure, go get your girl and let's get the two of you engaged. With that, Ryan went half skipping, half floating down the grassy path. I I think his feet hit the path about every 20 feet or so. He was being strategic. He, He was being audacious. He knew what he was going to do. He was going to get his girl. A few days later, we were sitting on the back porch again. Couples were walking down the path holding hands. We would wave to them, and they would wave back. Then came an animated figure bouncing and waving happily with both arms. It didn't take long for me to figure out it was Ryan. I walked down the path to greet him. Hi, hi, Ryan yelped with his wonderfully goofy, glazed-over, I'm-in-love grin. Hi, Ryan. What can I do for you? Well, you know how I'm going to propose in your backyard. Yes, I remember that. I was wondering if you think it would be possible for us if if he did another Ryan pause. So I knew whatever followed would be a whopper. To, 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 To have dinner on your porch before I pop the question. I bit my tongue to keep from laughing out loud. I've never ever met Ryan before that week. And now... He was asking me if he could have a marriage proposal and a dinner on my back porch. The kid has it bad. After a short pause, I shot back to young Ryan. What the heck, of course. You can have dinner on my porch, Ryan. That's a great idea. What can I make for you? I don't think he heard the question because off he went. Down the path. He seemed to be levitating. He may have touched down on the grass once or twice over the next hundred yards. Ryan was another step closer to the prize. He was all in. He was all about doing and not just dreaming. He was going to get the girl. By now, I found myself looking forward to the afternoon encounters with young Ryan. It, it reminded me how fun it was to be young and in love. And 
I even started coming home early from work just to sit on the porch waiting for him. Checking my watch every five minutes or so, wondering where he would come bouncing down the path with another outlandish request for a total stranger. And sure enough, Ryan came bounding down the path again, so I went out to greet him. Hi, Bob. Hey, I, 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 I was thinking... And then the pregnant pause. Would it be possible for me to have some friends of mine serve us when we're having dinner on your porch? You bet I shot back laughing. I was already this far in with Ryan. What would it hurt to have a few of his friends over? What a great idea. How many would it take to serve you two dinner, I asked. Ryan looked up with a cat grin and sheep as he said, 20. Did he just say? He wanted 20 people inside of my house to be his servers. I was wonderfully stunned by the consistently audacious, almost vertical trajectory of Brian's plans. He wanted 20 people to serve a dinner for two. Now that's service, but when love does, love does it big. What a great idea, Ryan. 20 it is. I said without hesitation, Ryan bounced away down the bayfront. I could tell that his head was already to explode with anticipation. He had the vision, he had the plan, he had the place, and he had the staff. He was triggered locked on the goal. He was going to get that girl. A few days later, I was at my post, almost on cue. Ryan came galloping down the path. Ryan, how's your plans coming? Well, he said, I was actually wondering if it would be okay if after dinner and after my friends leave, You could put some speakers on the porch and maybe we could dance a bit. Of course, you want to dance on a stranger's porch? Speakers it is, I told him. Anything else? I was trying to get all the possibilities out of him now. Well, I think that about covers it for now. I'll ask her to marry me after we dance for a bit. Great idea, I said to Ryan. Go get that girl. Ryan skipped off. A day or two had passed with no Ryan sightings. I almost felt a low-grade depression sinking in on me. Was the planning over? Were there no more whimsical and outrageous ideas from Ryan as he planned his caper? Was the mischief done? I sat on my porch reflecting on how contagious Ryan's brand of love was. And then, almost on cue, Ryan came running down the pathway again. At this point, Ryan was a regular, and he bounded across the lawn and up on my porch without hesitation. He was pretty winded, actually leaning over with his hands on his knees trying to catch his breath. I wondered if I should give him a paper bag to breathe into. After a few long moments, Ryan straightened up. There was a pause while our stares met. I had learned a pause by Ryan meant there was another whopper of an idea brewing in his head. Hey, Ryan, what's up? It's great to see you. How are your plans coming? Do, do, do you? He exhaled. Have? He inhaled. A boat? A boat? I was belly laughing as I asked him to repeat what I thought he just said. Yeah, do you have a boat? Ryan asked more confidently as he straightened a bit. Well, actually, Ryan, I do. I said with half enthusiasm and half awe at Ryan's love-induced audacious bender. He had that glazed look again as he looked me squarely in the eyes and he said, well, can I borrow it? Ryan was out of control. He had no idea what an outrageous thing he was asking. But you see, so Ryan... I wasn't, to Ryan, I wasn't a total stranger. No one was. To him, the whole world was full of conspirators when it came to winning over his love. He was completely unaware, in fact, unimpeded by what was proper, what was acceptable, and what was conventional. Nothing was going to get in the way of what he decided he was going to do. Okay, Ryan, the boat's yours, I said. I'll take you and your girlfriend out on my boat after dinner at my house. After your 20 friends (laughs) finish serving you, And after you dance together on my porch, you can pop the question to your girl up front on the front deck of my boat. Ryan floated away once again, clueless of the beautiful ridiculousness this girl was bringing out of him. Ryan was a study in focus, tenacity, and abandon. He was all gas and no brake. What Ryan didn't realize is that I decided to one-up him. Why should he have all the fun that night? I called the Coast Guard. And I told him about Ryan's elaborate plan and he, his glazed over enthusiasm for his girl, which had swept him into a state of unparalleled whimsy. Ryan's enthusiasm was contagious 
And pretty soon the guy on the other end of the phone had caught the bug too. The Coast Guard officer and I hatched a plan of our own. When the big night came, everything was in place. The night was balmy. The air was clear. And I think the stars even came out a few minutes early to watch Ryan's elaborate plan unfold. Ryan and his girl came walking down the path. When they got to the white Nantucket house on the bay, he led her up the stairs across the lawn toward a candlelit table on the porch. Ryan, what are you doing? Is this okay? Whose house is this? She whispered as she held his arm a little tighter. Ryan pulled out his chair and said this was for her as she sat down. The service at dinner by the 20 server was impeccable. And the after-dinner dance was endearing as these two stood with arms around each other, slowly moving together on the porch. As they danced, they twirled and talked quietly. By now, evening had fully set in. The lights of the city mixed with the stars were starting to dominate the skyline. It was as if the early appearing stars had gone home and invited all their friends, telling them, you got to see this. The evening was coming to its natural end and Brian took his girl by his hand and and they headed back to the path. I've always wondered what was going through her head during all this. I hope it all felt like a dream. As they got closer to the dock behind the house, Ryan gripped her hand, turned toward her toward the boat that was tied to the end. Ryan, what are you doing? She half demanded. Come on, is all he had to say as they came onto my boat. I was at the helm and they made their way to the bow. With the stars out in full view, we slowly motored out into the bay. After a short time, we approached the spot where Ryan and I had agreed I would stop the boat so he could pop the question. In a total coup de grace, Ryan had 50 more of his friends on the shore to spell out, will you marry me with candles? Just in case he got tongue-tied and overwhelmed by the intensity and the whimsy of the moment. With their flickering sign of his backdrop, Ryan got on one knee. Will, Will, Will. He exhaled. You. He inhaled. Mary. He paused. Me. There was a gasp followed by immediate enthusiastic yes. In this, the most special moment of our lives, neither Ryan nor his bride noticed that the Coast Guard had pulled in behind us. And with their firefighting boat, just as the officer and I had planned, I gave a thumbs up sign that said yes, and he shot off every water cannon he had on the entire rig. It was a scene that belonged in the New York Harbor on the 4th of July with the Statue of Liberty in the background. But it wasn't happening there. It was happening for Ryan because that's the way love grows. It multiplies. Ryan and his bride-to-be let the mist from the water cannons settle over them like a thousand small kisses. Ryan's love was audacious, whimsical. It was strategic. And most of all, it was contagious. Oh, Lord. I pray that you would give us a fresh taste of that kind of love. Love that just does. So that the world would look at us and say, I want what you have. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. See you next week.